Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. another Thursday night and uh, we got rain here in the ATL. I'm Chip Gibson and you're listening to Kayak Christian Radio. Mr. Becker is in the house. <laughs> Perfect. Good evening. How's the weather down there? Again. Yeah, how's the weather? Actually, it's been hot, humid, miserable, um, you know, more weather that I would associate with Central Florida right. rather than uh, rather than the West Coast. Um, it's Tampa, right? We've been in a weird. Yeah, it's Tampa, and it's uh, <laughs> it's just been uh, really, really kind of lousy um, in and out of the late afternoon thunderstorm patterns. But the humidity's yeah. been up in the in the seventy and eighty percent in the afternoon, and combined with a uh, you know combined with a real life temperature of ninety six. The math is left as an exercise for the student. Nice. It gets, uh, gets yucky. A little sticky. But aside from that, it's not snowing. It's not snowing. That's true. And uh, I don't know. What's the forecast looking like? Because I'm headed to Florida next week. There I said it. You know what? I think it. it's not me. It's something else going on. There's a big old high pressure over the state right now. We got some. We got a little bit of showers going on right now, but we're just at the bottom of a little occluded front. High pressure, no tropical systems in the Gulf or anything like that. No, looking. We uh, look at SpaghettiModels.com. If you're listening out there, you're looking for something to give you some forecasting and some good meteorological insight. Uh, SpaghettiModels.com, S-P-A-G-H-E-T-T-I, models, all one word, SpaghettiModels.com. It's a pretty cool website uh, and pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, so, Mike actually lives here in the Tampa Bay area, and uh, the guy who runs the website and does, it's not just one forecast page. The neat thing about it is it's, it's kind of a one-stop shop for all the different uh, different forecast models and, and model runs and prognostications, as it were, from right. all kinds of different sources. You can, That's you a real can go word. from everything. It is, by the way. Yes. Um, 
from just you know looking at the National Weather Service website and NOAA, or you can go back and and look at all the other stuff that goes into their decision-making process. So that's uh, that's one of my favorite bookmark sites between June 1st and November 30th. Yes, and uh, he's on uh, Facebook too, Mike's weather page. Like that page, and you'll get some insight too from him on your linked up. You know, if you follow him on uh, Facebook, there you'll get some information there. It's good. I mean, if you're not, uh, especially you know, this time of year. I mean, if you're going to go out on the water, you need to check the weather, right? I mean, so. But a good site to get started. Watches and warning, like you say, you click on a on a thing, it drive, it takes you over to NOAA, tropical preparedness, what else? Infrared, water vapor, all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, Mike's got a pretty good system set up there, so we use Mike's weather page. What else has been going on down yeah, in the in the Bay Area? Go ahead. Okay, I'll just throw one more weather thing in there. I've been playing yeah, this sure. app um, called RQS. Uh, it's a weather app that does some pretty high-resolution forecasting. Uh-huh. It uses the National Weather Service and NOAA's new uh, two-kilometer squares model, their new, their new forecasting models, to do um, very specific forecasts for where you are. Um, specific to the point of saying light rain will start in 15 minutes and end 13 minutes after that. Um, when I first heard about it, I was, me, skeptical. Who'd have thunk it? Uh-huh. Uh, but when and downloaded it on the Android platform, it's also available for, uh, for iPhone. Right. And right. I have found it to be spot on uh, in, you know, better than 95% of the time. If it says it's going to rain in 10 minutes, between 8 and 12 minutes, you can figure it's going to start raining. Um, it's it. It really makes very good use of the high-resolution data that's available from uh, from NOAA right now. So rather than listening to your, you know, your wide-area forecast that you're going to get from television or or even from the uh, even from the weather radio, uh, if you're especially during the severe weather season, it might be worth your time to at least check it out online and see if it uh, see if it adds anything to your fishing weather awareness, especially while you're on the water. Mm-hmm. Programmable and, for alerts and all kinds of other stuff. So. And and what was the name of that? Again, it's called Arcus. A R C U S. At least that's on the Android platform. It may have another name on uh, on uh, the Apple side. I'll look that up and I'll uh, I'll get it up in the chat room and I'll mention it later on if we need to. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's giving me some kind of. There's Arcus Hyperlocal Weather. It's on the Google yeah. stuff. I don't see it. I'm on, you know, I'm I'm an Apple geek, so I'm gonna check the. Uh, Good night, all. What was that? That was Mr. Jim. Let's bring you in. You're going to bed already, Jim? I need to after this week. <laughs> you said good night. I know. I'm tired. The, I meant to say the, hello. The wrong, the wrong <laughs> preset. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think my fingers were going faster than my brain was processing. Oh, okay. So that's about all I got. That's all you got. All right. That's Good. all I got on that one. So, uh, 
What's how's it uh, going on the north side? You know, we've had some rain, which is good uh, because at the beginning of the week I put out those two pallets of sod. We've had rain help. just about every other afternoon, so I haven't had uh-huh. um, water much. Um, the river actually didn't look too bad. I went over the river. What is today? Thursday. Today's Thursday. I went over yeah. the river a couple times. Yeah, I went over the river a couple times this uh, week, and I don't think they were generating because it looked kind of low and green like it's supposed to. But uh-huh. you know, my boat's supposed to be here tomorrow. Tomorrow. So, tomorrow. It was supposed to be here today, and it got pushed today by UPS in uh, Atlanta. So tomorrow the boat should be at the kayak at Go With The Flow. Ah, cool. What you getting? Yep. Uh, Ultimate 14.5 solo. Very nice. Lizard Lick. And, uh, so, Becker... Robert got a new boat this past week, did he not? Robert absolutely got a new boat. We got a, a real deal on a pristine Ultimate 12. Um, not the uh, not the brand new version and not the older version. Uh, the 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 one that everybody liked before it, they made some changes. Um, uh-huh. In uh, in yellow, which means it goes faster naturally, just by virtue of the fact that it's yellow. But uh, came with the you know everything from the foot pad covers down to the the bow cooler. Uh, guy tossed in a Stolquist PFD, um, which was not part of the deal, but uh, it'll fit me. And, nice. Uh, we're yeah. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get out this weekend. We've got another commitment this weekend, but uh, it's looking like Tuesday, come uh, hail or high water, uh, we're going to be out there. So cool. Yeah, it's uh, my, one of my favorite boats. I mean, these, it's just a nice, simple boat. Um, Jimbo Meter and the guys did a great job designing that boat. And it's all set up. You want to fly fish out of it. Got a big open deck in front of you. It's easy to stand in. The 12 is just perfect size for Robert. I mean, he's going to love that boat. And he's not going to be sitting in the water anymore. <laughs> no more water. So, so Jim, have you have you found some place else to go besides Florida next week? Because I'm going to be there. Uh, yeah, we have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to no be perfectly honest with. You. Be brutally honest. Um, yeah. To be brutally honest, yeah, my wife and I talked about it, and actually we're gonna um, we're gonna stay in Atlanta Fourth of July because they have a big software release this weekend coming up, and she's thinking they'll still be working some bug break fix or bug fix. So we're gonna stay in Atlanta, especially with uh-huh. you going to the Panhandle. We figured it'd be flooded out, um, so uh, <laughs> we're probably gonna go to the river. Saturday, we'll probably go to the river, and I'll probably slide down to that corner, that big mud flat with the big carper, because I've gone by yeah. there a couple times on the carper up in that flat, and I'm talking carp up to 40 pounds. So um, wow. we will probably paddle some, and then I will probably slide into that flat and throw at some carp. Um, of course, there's some ones in there breaching, you know, trying to loosen up their eggs. You've got big females in there being chased by two or three small males, but then you've got some um, some carp in there rooting around feeding too. The spawning behavior should be started late. 
it should be just about over in the next two weeks or so, which is good because they really muddy up the – I mean, the cart muddy up the flat anyways. You have to use a real dark fly. But, you know, with the cart breaching and those females rubbing up against the banks, loosening up their eggs, they make it worse. So that will settle down some, and they'll be – they won't be running all over the place. They'll be more um, stationary, rooting around the bottom, trying to get you know aquatic worms and crayfish and whatever else, snails, whatever else uh-huh. they can find in there. But huh. I have seen some carp, and I'm thinking because no one really ever fished for them in that part of the Chattahoochee, no one ever bothered them. I, Chip, I have seen carp swim by my kayak four feet long, and Big around as my torso. Man. You know, just huge carp. Like, I had to look at it twice. Um, and some of the back channels off the main river, I've seen some carp kind of sunning in there. Same thing. You know, four feet long, bigger than both your arms put together. You know, head head as big as any 40-inch redfish. And wow. I'm just kind of sitting there in the water, sunning, taking it easy. You know, huh. not in a hurry. No natural predator predators in the river. Nothing's big enough to eat them in the river. You know, the herons, they can't, the um, blue herons, and they can't do anything with a carp that big. There's no alligators. There's nothing there to eat them. So, hmm. you know, they get that and big. You, there's nothing, nothing bothering them. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> what do you use to catch a carp? Um, so these are common carp, and there's... They're in two. They're actually in three locations. There's a big mud flat that, at sometimes, is dry if they're pulling water at uh, Morgan's Fall Dam. If they're generating there, that that flat will go dry. If they're not generating there, that flat will have one to four inches. I mean, one to four feet of water on it, depending on where you're at. Um, you could use a Jean Larue three and a half inch crawfish on a spinning rod with like an eighth ounce. Um, even a large carp has a fairly small mouth, and because I'm a, I'm a, I like to make things hard. I usually go down there with a seven or eight weight, and a very dark fly, like a all black woolly booger, or a very small black and brown clouser, with very small bee chains on it, like a number four, or number six. Um, some guys just use black and brown and black woolly boogers. Um, you could use that, but I'd rather have the hook point up. So I lean more to I've got some little clousers that I tied. Um, if you really want to cheat, you could take a six-and-a-half-foot medium-action spinning rod with a three-and-a-half-inch uh, rubber crawl, or probably a little bit bigger, but any kind of rubber crawfish, soft plastic crawfish, and a very lightweight because the water's not that deep. You could fish it without a weight, really, um, and just pitch to them, you know, because they'll jump. They smell that crawfish. They'll jump on it because they're up there eating, uh, you know, worms and crawfish and snails and anything else they can get a hold of. Um, there's some crawfish flies that I actually have bought that I'm, I was a little too lazy to tie. Um, it is, what's his name? It's called Near Enough Crawfish, and it's a crawfish pattern with some weight on it. Um, I can't think of the guy's name who invented it. Mm. Big fly fish guy, older guy. He's in East Oklahoma right now. Um, he's got a couple of flies that you would recognize, near enough dragon, near enough crawfish. I'll think of it later. But there's some crawfish patterns I could use, too, that have some weight on it. And then um, 
there's a couple of specific um, carp flies that you'd have to kind of see them. They're kind of funky looking. Right. But they're all variations of either a damselfly or a dragon, either a damselfly nymph, a dragonfly nymph, or a small crawfish. They're all variations off that theme. Um, mm. Mr. Becker would appreciate that. The first carp I hooked up down there, I was on a prince nymph with a bead head. Oh, fairly good size one. Uh, fairly good size prince nymph. And that same day, same day, a guy paddled by me in a kayak with a five weight, and he was throwing a small black stone fly. And he, I was talking to him, and I said, you had any luck? He goes, yeah, I hooked something, but it broke me off. I said, did it run and it snap you? He goes, yeah. I said, what pound test leader are you using? He goes, six. I said, that was a carp. He goes, was it big? I said, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. He said, um, I said, you have a good-sized black stone fly? Because there's a little, on the main river, there's a big sand flat and then a depression that goes down probably six feet. And they'll get up on that sand flat when the mud flat goes dry. They'll get up there and root around, and then they'll slide back into that deep water in the middle of the day to stay cooled off. And um, he was middle of the day floating a big black stone fly nymph through there. And carp picked it up and, you know, a little five weight. You're not going to do anything with that and just ran, 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 and popped his tippet, popped his leader. Um, you really got to have something. These these fish are really big, and you got to have, it's, you know, you can catch the small ones, small being under 18 inches with a four or five weight, but these fish that are 20, 30, and 40 pounds, and there's a lot of down trees and stumps and crap, you know, you're not going to, if you don't have a 12 or a 12-pound, 10 or 12-pound leader and, a seven weight, six, seven, eight weight, either seven or eight is really better. You, uh-huh. You'll hook them, but they'll run. They're going to run, and they're going to find something to wrap you up on. And, you know, all you're going to hear is pop. Hey, Jim, that's a, that's a Dave Whitlock tie, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's the name I was near looking enough? for. Yeah. Dave Whitlock's yeah, his near enough crawfish. Um, that's a good one. Anything that's a variation of... In that real shallow water, anything that's a variation of a crawfish, or I like the solid black clousers when they really mud it up with bee chain eyes. And then um, when you get in the more open areas, like that deep hole, you can drift big black stone flies through there, and they'll pick up those, any kind of big nymph, a big stone fly, or any variation of that, golden stone fly, black stone fly. I'm talking big right. ones, you know, 8s, 10s, 12s, something you could use for smallmouth. But um, well, I think I, I think I mentioned on one of our previous conversations about this that uh, I uh, I used to tie a mulberry fly for uh, for some of the Hudson River carp where there was a, a little, couple little back bays that they used to come in and uh, their mulberry bushes overhanging and they used to eat the mulberries and I yeah, you, used to get laughed at and so I used to hook people up on a mulberry fly. You um. I could wear some carp out in the pond. So the idiots who run our subdivision put a bunch of grass carp in our ponds and kind of ruined the uh, pan fish and bass fishing. But now these gra- grass carp are two and a half feet long. And um, with uh, a grass fly or a dragon, you know, the little dragon fly um, or a mulberry fly, I could wear their butts out with that. Um, yep. You know, people laugh at carp, but I tell you, carp are harder to catch then redfish, small sea trout, any size redfish, any any smaller sea trout, any sea trout, say, under 26 inches, um, 
carp have a very sophisticated inner ear for a fish, and they hear, not only do they pick up, they don't have a distinct lateral line like a bass or a snook. They do have some lateral line, but they have a very complicated inner ear, and they pick up sound. You know, water travels through sound. And um, the damn grass carp in our ponds are even worse. Um, uh-huh. You know, the, um, you can't even walk. I can walk down the bank at the top of the dam, walking one of the dogs, watching the grass carp. They'll be right up on the bank eating grass, you know, someone mows grass or pushes grass, and they'll be, I mean, they'll be in three inches of water, their head out of the water pulling grass, and I can walk slowly on the bank on the top of the dam, walking the dog very slowly, barely moving, and they'll see me, and they'll move off, and we're talking, you know, 40 feet up from where they're at. I mean, I don't know if they, and they have a sophisticated ear like a common carp. The common carp, their vision is not that good because grass carp feed up more than they feed down. They're right. very sensitive. And big carp, if you ever want to practice, if you talk about folks who don't live on the coast, if you want to practice to go fishing for bonefish or redfish or a permit, go uh-huh. try to fish for carp in shallow water, big carp in shallow water. And if you can, if you can um, successfully catch those fish, on a routine basis, then going to saltwater, you know, once you find the fish in saltwater, going to saltwater and catching fish will not be a problem once you find them. You know, there's a lot more water to cover in saltwater, but those fish are so spooky in shallow water and they have such acute sensitivity when it comes to hearing and they're so um, sensitive to noise. You know, if you, you drop your paddle in the water, you know, um, they're very hard to catch, and it's kind of frustrating sometimes. And I don't know why I do it, because rainbow trout and brown trout would be much easier, but they're bigger. <laughs> I mean, I can go down there and hook a 30-pound fish, you know. Yeah. Well, so, I, I mean, I that's just, pretty cool, and it's close. And I, I just looked up in the Georgia state record for freshwater fishes. Uh, they must be hard to catch, because the Reverend, Reverend Donald Clark on Lake Jackson in 1972 set the current record for the state of Georgia with a 35-pound, 12-ounce carp. So you need to go down there and catch yep. one of them big ones and get your name in the record book, man, especially if it's on a fly. <laughs> let, me look, let me see here. Yep. Florida. Actually, the common carp for Florida, the current record is vacant. Qualifying weight is 35 pounds. They're, they do have listed a 1981 catch by Bernard Rowan in the Apalachicola River uh, of 40 pounds, 0.56. It says, uncertified record, strong evidence exists, but all reporting requirements were met. So, um, interesting. So, a 40-pounder in Florida, 35 in Georgia, anything bigger than that. I should, I'll have to, I don't have my login stuff for IGFA right now, but I'd have to see what what that is. Um, but you just, I mean, you're just catch and release, right? You don't do much with a carp, do you? I mean, you can't eat them. Um, yes. Um, well, from what I understand, because I kind of studied up on the carp a little bit before I went down there and tried to catch them. Um, yeah. From what I understand, 
carp were brought to America in the late 1800s, the common carp was brought to America in the late 1800s as a food source because the many species of fish in America, of course, at that time when we were more of a hunter-gatherer society, many of the local populations of fish had been depleted, um, one through either bad water quality, you know, the brook trout with the water quality, with the logging, um, smallmouth and largemouth bass. So we had a depletion of nature, uh, natural natural resources, and they brought the carp in from Europe in the late 1800s, and they stocked them outside of, or early 1900s, and they stocked them in a pond outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and it was for a food source, and they actually had to put a fence and guard the pond because a lot of the European immigrants were trying to go in there and catch the carp and take them home and eat them. Um, so like the sail cat, supposedly a common carp are good to eat now. You know, that depends on their environment. If they're in a nasty body of water and they're not getting a good, clean food source, I would say they're probably not good to eat. In a clean right. river like in Colorado where Barry Reynolds chases them and a lot of those clean rivers out there, uh-huh. they're probably just as good as any other fish, you know, because they're eating nymphs and um, snails and crayfish and, you know, clean food supply. So supposedly they're very good to eat. And in Europe, it's supposed to be one of the, one of the um, most sought-after fish in Europe is the carp and the hippie carp terminants, and they do it totally different. You know, they're using basically surf rods and putting out two- and three-foot surf rods with carp baits at the end and using all conventional and, you know, throw them a mile out there and fishing from the bank. So it's a little different fishery in Europe. Uh-huh. But I have not eaten one. You know, I'm not really, really um, enthusiastic about eating anything out of the Chattahoochee for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, we don't really. Yeah, I mean. But I just, uh, I, okay, so. IGFA world record, uh, all tackle record, June 2005, angler Jeff Rorex, Gunnersville Lake, Tennessee. What do you think the biggest carp is? I got it right I here. I thought it was over 60. Yeah? What do you think, Mr. Becker? Take a guess. Uh, 82.6. You're a little closer. Four zero point eight two kilograms, ninety pounds. A ninety pound carp. That's a big old carp. That's a goldfish. For that's the one that got away in the Dr. Seuss book. That's right. That's a big minnow. Yep. You know, when you're talking about eating them, carp is one of the primary is the is the primary uh, ingredient in that uh, ever popular food, gefilte fish. Yes, and ethnic, uh, that's right. Jewish food. That's that's the primary food, the uh, primary fish source for it. So, filter fish. Huh? Yep. Let's see. Many people in Poland, Germany, Czech Republic, Slovakia, and Hungary buy a live carp, bring it home, three or two days before Christmas Eve. It's kept one or two days in a bathtub, then killed. Traditional Czech Christmas Eve dinner is a thick soup of carp's head, and Awful. Fried carp meat with potato salad or boiled carp in black sauce. In some Czech families, the carp is not killed, but after Christmas, returned to the river pond. You know, if i got to take a bath with it for three or four days, <laughs> I don't know if I would eat it. 
It does say um, carp are mixed with other common uh, fish to make gefilte fish and popular in Jewish cuisine. Oh, I've I always heard it was like eating cotton, but I see all kinds of dishes here that they look rather appetizing on the plate. Um, I don't know if you'd eat a big giant one. You know, that's kind of like a catfish, you know. No. I like the little squealers, you know, no. the little one pounders, you know, that kind of thing is like make the best table fare. Yeah. Yeah, I would not, um, eat, any, I would not them, eat a big carp. I've you, had them fried um, in, <laughs> just let it go, carp balls. Yes. Um, you uh, can make, uh, just make, they're like little hush puppies, and you drop them in the deep fryer. Yeah. And just You can eat them like popcorn. They're very good. Hmm. Well, Jim, that would be like a, a mission for you, you know? Go and catch a decent sized one and and cook it up and come back and give us a report on it and we'll you know tonight will be carp one o one and then when you come back we'll talk carp one o two you know and we could go okay. on to well gradual the weekend <laughs> yep if I don't get out this weekend on Sunday then Fourth of July weekend I'm definitely getting out or talk to the wife about it but if I can sneak out Sunday in my new boat then um. I just got to figure out how to mount my GoPro on the uh, on the new boat. I got Scotty Gearhead coming with it, but I got to figure out from the gearhead to the GoPro casing how I'm going to do that. But you know, as long as they don't generate at Morgan's Fall and pull all the water out of that, then um, that's my plan. Because it's a 15 minute drive from the house, and I've been at lunch, sneaking down at lunch, getting a protein drink, and driving by the flat looking at them, and they stay up there. The nice thing is they'll be there all summer. They don't stay in the winter. I guess it just gets too cold, but they'll be in there, you know, in August when nothing's happening, too hot to go trout fish. Those carp will still be in the flat, and if you get there first thing in the morning before the the guides get there, uh-huh. um, you can catch them. The one thing about a carp, besides the complex inner ear, they release a um, flight pheromone like stripers. So the theory is if you catch one carp and put them back in the water, if there's other carps in a close proximity, they release a pheromone and all the carp leave. Oh. It's a warning message to the other carp. So this flat is big enough that you could fish one side, catch a few, and when they stop, paddle to the other side of the flat and catch a few over there. Um, right. If they're out in the main river, then the main river, there's enough moving water to move that pheromone down away. I wouldn't be worried about then. Hmm. I'll tell you one thing I do want to do this year is... I've heard it a hundred times. I'm going to try to eat a sail cat this year if I can get to the coast this summer. If I can catch right. like a three or four pound sail cat, I uh-huh. want to try a sail cat because everyone says they're good to eat. Yeah, they're not bad. I mean, I, I've had them and they they're not bad at all. Uh, they just like a catfish and actually. I would eat a sail cat before I'd eat a freshwater catfish, especially one out of the Chattahoochee River. Um, but, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I mean, speaking on, you know, some unusual fish to eat, I know uh, Mark from uh, Yak Sushi from Yak Angler, uh, they go up on a river there in uh, Kentucky and where they have those the Asian carp, the invasive species are there. And they caught a few of those mm-hmm. uh last summer and cooked them up and said they were pretty good. So, I mean, I guess it's, you know, just that, you know, 
social prejudice or whatever, you know, that you hear people say, oh, no, that nobody eats those things or whatever. But now the the carp that we're talking about, we're talking about the carp that had the big old scales on them and stuff like that. I mean. Yep, the, the common carp, they're kind of a golden yeah. brown with the little, um, the little um, feelers on the side of their mouth. Right. Little, um those are the ones that are in the hooch, and then the, we have some grass carp in our lakes, unfortunately. Um, those are non-native species, right? Barbels. Right. Yeah, barbel. They're, well, neither one of them are native. The little barbels. Okay. The common carp came from Europe, Eastern Europe and uh, parts of Asia, so they're not really native either, but they've been here for so long, you know, over 100 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some, I don't know about down in Tampa, but I know in the Panhandle, there's some... Big sail cats in the panhandle. And, you know, you'll see them up tailing in this late evening, early morning. They'll be up tailing just like a redfish. And I've had them take um, jerk baits. I've had them take top water. You know, they, they eat a pretty clean diet compared to the old hardhead salt, you know, saltwater cats. I wouldn't eat one of those. I seem to recall one of our uh, friends uh, getting real excited about something, taking a top water plug not too long ago, and turned out to be a big sail cat. <laughs> was that down in Tampa? I think it was down somewhere near Tampa Bay, somewhere <laughs> like that. Yeah. Are you, it happens. Are you, it happens, I long, yeah? I hear a long silence. I hear yeah. a long silence after that. Uh, it happens. No input, right? Okay. But, no, they're, they I get to be pretty aggressive. You 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 caught him, right? I did. Yeah, we did. Um, I no, I've seen him. I've seen him take top water plugs, and I've, I've been trolling before with uh, with a big plug and have a big sail cat get on. They're aggressive fish, yeah. But yeah, the so, the mm-hmm. sail cat. We're talking about the one with the big tall dorsal fin, and yep. uh, not the hardheads, yep. the bait stealers. So, but, um, yeah, yeah, they're considered pretty decent table fare. So, um, not your typical trash can fish that most people like to think. Um, mm-hmm. So, I was, uh, you know, we had a couple shows ago we were talking about watching uh, fishing on TV. And uh, I was watching, uh, um, what's his name? Um Ah, addictive fishing guy, and uh, oh yeah, they were they were in the panhandle. Uh, it was taped earlier in the year because it looked like it was like early, early spring, late winter. But uh, they were calling it what were they calling it? Panhandle permit. They were talking about jacks. Yeah, catching those jacks. Catching yep. big jacks up there off of the beach. No, so, but uh, I. You know, you, you think about uh, jacks, and I've seen pictures on cans of what they call mackerel that look like a jack creval on on the picture <laughs> of the can. Um, and I, you know, I don't know. I, I know I tend to like I, I like like wahoo and mm-hmm. some Spanish mackerel, but I don't like kingfish, the king mackerels, and people eat. Pompano, you know, but I mean a permit, 
and a jack. I mean, they're all in the same family. So that's right. I, but uh, cool. Yeah, just uh, so that's interesting. And you say you you fish for carp up in New York, right, Greg? Yeah. Yep. Um, when it uh, when it got to be summertime and the water, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, guide and target trout when the water temperature was over seventy degrees because mm-hmm. they just there's not enough oxygen and it just stressed them out too much. Yeah. But uh, you know when people wanted to go out for trips, we used to uh, used to throw the kayaks in the in the Hudson River uh, down in Tivoli Bays or some of the the Roloff Jansen Kill Creek and fish some of those uh, those slow backwater areas where. Uh, where the river carp were back up in there, and you know they they call them freshwater bonefish for a reason. You know Jim had it exactly right. They're up in the shallow water. They are line shy. They'll hear you a mile away. Um, you know, when, when we were getting up close to them, I used to tell people, you know, take two good strokes, and then coast. Where you know put your hand in the water to stop you. Don't don't be moving your paddle around on the boat or anything else. Um, and they're they're but they're awesome. Once uh, you know, once you come tight, it's it's definitely game on. Huh? You yep. got a big old big old tail on them, so yes, they do. Nice big broad tail. They look like they got some big old shoulders on them too to fight. So interesting. I might have to come up and visit you one day there, Jim, and we'll uh, see if we can't get get our carp on up there, man. Man, come on. Little carpe diem, right? That's right. Come up, bring your wife. We can do that, and we can throw some steaks on the grill. We got plenty of room. You can meet all the dogs. Sounds like fun. Meet all the puppies. Sounds like fun. Cool. So this is Carp 101 for tonight's show. That's pretty cool. So spinning rod, fly rod. What's your, you, you do the, Huh? Yes. Yes, that's all. It all yep. works. Hmm. Do you need a leader on them, or do you need to? I mean, if you if you're using like a spinner, a light spinner rod, do you use mono or braid with a short leader, or what? Are they spooky that way, or? Most of the time, I was fishing for them with spinning gear. Uh huh. I was fishing with spinning gear. It depended on the water conditions. Most of the time, the water they were in was dirty enough that you, you know you're not fishing for them in uh, in, in clear uh, trout stream quality water most of the time. So I never never found it to be an issue. But you do need something that's heavy enough that's going to hold them, because like Jim said, a lot of the places they are, they'll they'll get you back in the weeds or back in the pads or you know in in the in the laydowns or whatever else there is trying to get away. So you do need something that'll hold up. Okay. Yeah, I would say that one flat we fish for them on is they, when they root around, they get it so muddy that when they're not there, it is clear you can see the bottom. But when they're in there rooting, I mean, you can't see squat. So, um, but eight pound mono probably would not be heavy enough if you hooked one over over five pounds. Um, that might be pushing your luck. I usually use oh. a like twelve pound tippet. Um, on my fly, and I used to just throw fly. I mean, I might cheat this year, and the first time I take my boat down there and take a spin rod and a fly rod. Um, but any of your standard saltwater, you know, spinning rods, anything six, six and a half, seven, medium. I wouldn't go light 
I'd go medium, maybe medium heavy, if you hmm. you know, in case a really big one shows up. But you don't have to get anything special for it. And if you got braid on there, if you you know, if you really want to, you can put a little short, fifteen pound leader on there. You know, a little eighteen inch leader on your braid if you want to. Yeah. But you wouldn't. I would make it long. I would. I wouldn't make it really long. So. And and so, um, as I looked through Wikipedia to see a picture of a carp, I see Benson. B N S O N in the carp section. It said Seymour Benson, the fish. And Benson, 1984 until July 2009, was Britain's biggest and best loved common carp. Benson's popularity was such that she was caught 63 times in 13 years. Although the accessibility that made her popular was also the cause of controversy among angling's elite. She's also been referred to as the People's Fish and was voted by readers of Angler's Mail, Britain's favorite carp, in 2005. Holy cow. Well, there you go. I know. And what is it? At her peak weight, she weighed 64 pounds, 2 ounces. She died in July of 2009, age 25. So they know how old this carp was. I mean, 25 years old, that's mm-hmm. a long-lived fish. She weighed mm-hmm. the same as a large dog and was worth 20,000 pounds, according to the Daily Telegraph in London. They alleged she was accidentally poisoned by anglers using uncooked tiger nuts as baits. I guess that's some sort of a tree fruit. <laughs> but we, uh, we should hope, yes. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't mess with who an angler who showed down? up with tiger nuts as bait. <laughs> I was like, who, who held that? Who held that tiger down? That's what I want to know. Right. Uh, okay. Yep. All right. We'll see. There we go. Benson, the common carp, age 25, poisoned, alleged. Actually, the uh, local DNR, I think, was uh, complications during egg production. She uh, passed away, so nice picture of Benson there in the Wikipedia page. Interesting stuff. I might have to just try catching me some carp. I've never caught one. I've seen them, uh, you know, in ponds and stuff like that, but I've never I've never caught one. And I, I have heard of the folks calling them the uh, golden bonefish or the freshwater bones, whatever, because they were very difficult. It, yeah, that'd be fun. Um, so... I will say that if you're in a pond where people feed them breadcrumbs and stuff like that, where they've been conditioned by man, that uh-huh. those would probably be easier to catch versus going somewhere on a river or a lake or a pond where no one um, bothers them and they're eating their natural forage. Right. Those carp are um, those carp are a lot more difficult to catch. To have right. them desensitized. They're two different fish. You have to tell. You have to tie a breadcrumb fly, and those are really, really small. The breadcrumb fly, yeah. yeah. I can yeah, get like that. Twenty-eight. Got use different color thread to get kind of the crest look on the edge, you know, and then the yeah. The, yeah. Okay. That's right. Well, you know, I always say when we go over to the Georgia Aquarium that I'd love to, you know, try fishing out of there for a couple of hours. But I mean, if you're fishing for fish, gold, you know, that's like fishing in a koi pond, man. <laughs> yep. But, yeah, you want to go after wild fish, right? Okay. Yep. Do you have any, do you, down on the south side, any of those little um, lakes and ponds around you on the south side, do they have any carp down there? 
I've not seen any, um, but they're probably there. And I'm usually so noisy that now that I know that they're very sensitive to 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 that, I'm probably scaring the crap out of them. And yeah, uh, so I mean, yeah, if there if there there are some nice little flats areas and stuff like that that. The, if they were there, they would probably be. But I like again, not knowing that they were that sensitive, and I've never targeted them either. So, but uh, hmm, there are probably some in there. I mean, if nothing else, there's probably some grass carp or something. Those catch the same way. I mean, you use the same targeting methods. No, no? not at all. Um, Tie grass, grass block, carp. Right? Now, yeah, grass carp. Um, all carp are omnivorous. Um, I don't care if it's a grass carp or a common carp or a silver carp. They're gonna—they're not, you know, wild animals eat and they'll eat whatever they can get a hold of, um, so they don't really fall into that. Grass carp, their mouth is more on the top of their body, uh. and they're a longer, thinner, a longer, more thinner fish. They don't root. Now I have seen the grass carp in our ponds root around in the black crappy beds and eat all the black crappy eggs, and that's when I try to snag them with hooks to get them out of there. Um, I have seen them root around for very specific items, but usually they're feeding up in the water column for grass or nymphs or um, any kind of little surface um, bug, mosquito larvae hatching. You'll see them up clooping on top. They tend to to feed up, and their their eyes are higher set and they don't have the barbels, the distinct barbels, for when they're, you know, like the common carp are rooting around. Right. Um, and mulberry flies, grass flies, um, there's a little fly that is a, looks like a little dragonfly that works. There's um, fewer flies that work on those, and they like lighter colors. You can actually use some um, top water, like a stimulator, big stimulator flies, in green and yellow and they'll feed up on those big caddis flies. Um, huh? You can use foam hoppers, yellow foam hoppers. Um, I don't think, Jim's opinion, grass carp aren't really worth targeting with conventional because right. I just don't, you know, there's nothing, unless you put a casting bubble in front of a fly and cast it out there, but the casting bubble would spook them off. Um, they're even spookier than common carp because they feed up and they're looking up. They're not grubbing on the bottom, so you can't right. sneak up on them really. Um, I had one take a chartreuse slider that I was fishing for a panfish with, and he straightened out the hook. He rolled over. I put the hook in him. He rolled over, straightened out the hook on my little chartreuse slider. So they tend to feed up on the surface on lighter color things that mimic mimic, um, vegetation. But I have uh, caught him on the little rubber-legged dragonfly. I had him take that, and um, I don't know. Like I said, it's... I just went and targeted with a conventional tackle. I don't think it's worth it. Um, Greg might have a different thought about that. Um, but they are spookier than common carp. All right. Something new to give it a try, man. I mean, you know, especially in the dog days of summer, you know, when nothing else like Greg, you mentioned, you know, the more popular game fish that people are trying to target when it gets in the summer, you don't want to be messing around. You know, if you're truly interested in maintaining a good fishery, catching big fish or catching fish during the summer when the water has lower oxygen levels 
And I know fishing up on Lanier and stuff, you know, you're fishing in really deep. The lake is deep, and you're fishing down, and you catch a striper. And if you don't get it up and get it off the hook and get it back in the water pretty quick, you'll kill it. I mean, just because the water temperature is so different from down in the depths up to the top end, the oxygen levels are a lot lower, and it's really tough to revive a fish. So same thing if you're fishing in a lagoon or something, you catch a big redfish and the water's warm and stuff, you stress the fish out, and you're going to wind up hurting a fish. So going after some fish that's a, an invasive or, you know, uh, not a game fish, then I, I, that's certainly an option. Very cool. So fun talking about fish that we never, I've never fished for, and we'll... We'll see if Jim catches one and comes back with a report on how it tastes. Catch an eaten size. I would assume an eaten size would be a smaller one. But Yes. Okay. But uh, coming around the bend here, man, what's our plans for next week? I'm headed to Florida about Thursday. So if you're down there, make sure that you've got uh, your galoshes and your raincoat and your umbrella, but I'm going to be down there and I'm going to be fishing. I don't think it's going to be raining myself. I'm just I'm just challenging it. I mean, if we get down there and we have 24 inches of rain in two days, probably, the governor's probably going to put an edict out and prohibit me from entering the state again, <laughs> especially during holiday weekends. <laughs> but, uh... My, go ahead. My wife asked me, my wife asked me if the uh, Chamber of Commerce knew you all were coming again on Fourth of July. <laughs> you know, though, I, said, I, I mean, don't know, baby. When uh, we head down for the Boondoggle, it was raining a couple of days. We we didn't get down there until like on a Friday at Cars, and boom, uh, we show up and it didn't rain. You know, I mean, the only real bad weather I've had is, is um, I mean, it usually rains when I'm on my way down or when I'm on my way back, but I usually get a couple of days of fishing. Last year was just 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 a coincidence. It, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take credit for it. It's it's the weather. Um, but yeah, we're gonna be headed down to Panama City. Uh, gonna be hanging out with uh, Stan and Holly and Brad Stevens and the crews down there. Uh, hopefully, get some fishing, get offshore. Snapper season is in in Florida waters. Hope we can we can uh, get a limit of some red snapper and maybe uh, get down to Port St. Joe or something and get on some uh, some scallops. Scallops are open right now. I kind of miss it. You don't see scallops way up in the Panhandle like over towards Pensacola anymore. Most of the, they're trying to restart the grass beds and stuff, but the scallops like the grass beds and um, so they kind of disappeared. But uh, that's always fun, walking around, gathering up some scallops and take them home. A little garlic, a little butter. Yum. So that's our game plan for next hey, week. Um, yeah, go ahead. Chip, are you going to um, are you gonna take snorkels and fins when you go scalloping? Yeah, we always have. You know, I always got a, a little dive bag in the, in the trailer there with some mass fins and snorkel for for everybody. But, yeah, if, it, if you, you can't find the, the shallow, you know, I mean, in Pensacola, we, we had a nice little grass flat that was about waist deep, you know. And you just walk around and feel them with your toes, pick them up with your toes, and reach down in the water and grab them and stuff. But a little bit deeper water, yeah, might need to uh, 
make sure we have the mass fins and snorkel. But that's always in but, the um, basement. The, the Port St. Joe grass is really uh-huh. deep compared to even Panama City. I've, I've fished and um, scalloped down there. I think it's just more efficient for you to be um, snorkel fins, dive flag out, kayak tethered to your waist, flipping uh-huh. along, looking down into the grass, looking for the blue eyes down in the grass. It's probably, I think that's more e- efficient. And then that place gets hit real hard the opening day. And you might yeah. want to go from the two and three foot out to the four, five, six foot, slide out a little bit deeper water because that shallow stuff's going to get picked over real quick. Um, and if you go down there, you know, go early and take your, you know, some shrimp imitation and some, you know, jigs and slide out into that six to eight foot break. And you probably can catch some real nice sea trout in the early morning and when the sun gets up a little bit, we can see in the grass better than do your scalp and more towards the middle of the day. Nice. Great but idea. There is, there is some, there is some great sea trout in Port St. Joe because of the high salinity because of no freshwater rivers going into Port St. Joe. Great right. sea trout. Lost a lot of grass, but I've caught some real nice sea trout down there. Seen some decent reds, but better sea trout. So, cool. you know, any any of your standard any of your standard baits will work down there. Eight ounce, quarter ounce jig head. But they're gonna be real early this time of year. I'm looking at the weather. Saturday down there it's gonna be ninety two and sunny, no rain. Friday ninety and twenty percent chance. Thursday the third, forty percent chance of rain. So I think yeah. if you go down Saturday to Point Saint Joe you got a west southwest wind which is best because then that um that Cape Sandblast side will block the wind. And you right. go right along that Cape Sandblast side. You can go on the bay side of Cape Sandblast, put in that state park, and go down that bank and fish. And then when the sun gets up a little bit overhead, like 10 start your scalloping then. But from sunrise to about 8, I'd be fishing for trout. Definitely. That's the game plan. So how about you? So, Jim, you're going to go and target the uh the freshwater bonefish, a.k.a. carp, and come back with some information on that, right? Um, I am. And Mr. Becker, your game plan? You're, you're going to go out and slime uh, a new kayak with Mr. Robert, right? Yeah, we're going to slime a new boat. Actually, we heard uh, heard a rumor. Well, the tarpon are up, in, uh, up off of Pinellas County, finally. Uh, my buddy Tony Coffey uh, jumped three this morning. Uh, so uh, I've been told i got to get my tail over there, so that'll be sometime next week, at least one day um, or one morning. You know, you're only out for a couple hours in the morning, so I'm going to try and get right. the, get over there. But uh, I've I've been led to believe that in a couple of the dead-end canals that you and Reese explored back in the dead ends of those deep hole canals, there are uh, little juvie tarpon back there rolling around. And wow. I, uh, you know, seven foot, seven foot spinning rod and a baby Miradine will do uh, do very nicely for getting them in the air. So, well, we'll try that to... out. Yeah, definitely. Look forward to seeing some pictures of that. So, well, I think that'll do it, man. Everybody, stay safe. You got the Fourth of July coming up. Be careful out there on the water. Make sure that you got all the appropriate gear, sunscreen too. It looks like it's going to be a hot one, as uh, Jim mentioned. Make sure you take care of that. Guys, thanks for joining me tonight. Jim, good luck with the carp. 
Mr. Becker, hopefully you see some tarpon. Get on the Silver King. I know I know Robert would like to hook up with a, a silver. So, heck, who wouldn't, right? Who wouldn't want to catch tarpon? <laughs> oh, yeah. come on. I don't care how big it is. It's still fun, right? So, all right. So, you guys take care, and we'll see you next week. We'll probably be... Uh, let's see, Thursday is the 3rd, so if we can get it, make it happen, we'll be broadcasting from Panama City and probably Stan and Holly's backyard. So tune in next week. Monday night, Chuck will kick off the week. And uh, Tuesdays, I'm not sure if Texas is online yet, but uh, Wednesday we've got the fresh water with the uh, landing crew, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks, guys. Good night, Jim. Good night, Greg. We'll talk to you later. Night, Chip. Night, Greg. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.